Great. Morning, everyone. Oh, I'm loud, aren't I? Wow. This is great. Um, it's really nice to be here with you. Um, I've been a bit, bit poorly in the week, so I recorded a video just in case uh, I wasn't here. It's much, much nicer to actually be here and to, to eyeball you and to look at you uh, and speak at you um, this morning. I, I'm, I'm going to be sharing a little bit from uh, John's Gospel, so if you've got a Bible uh, or an app, then you can scroll. We'll start in John 12 and then into John 19. It'll appear on the screen in a few minutes um, but just so you can get your fingers in the page or the app open, that would be really, really helpful. Um, I, I can't, um, I mean, you guys know Dan and Emma anyway as a family, you, you love them, but as they enter this slightly different season, can I encourage you to be praying for them and to be praying for the family? Uh, it's a, it is a different season, a sabbatical. It's, one, it's a different season for you as a church, but also for them as leaders, and I find it hilarious that just as he goes on sabbatical, there's a special offering. So no one tell him what the total is until August. <laughs> He'll just have that going right now. I'm sure someone will. Um, but uh, please keep praying for him. And it's, uh, it's not for another couple of weeks. So just as you pray for them, ask God, is there, is there anything you want to speak? Any encouragements that you can bring? Cards you can write? wadges of cash through the door, whatever it is that you want to do to bless them. There's a couple of weeks before they enter that season. So please, can I encourage you to bless and encourage them? I have no idea what else has been said about sabbatical, but, but that's, that's my two pennies worth. Um, it is a real privilege and a joy to be here with you this morning. Um, as Ian said, my name is Chris. I'm here with Lisa uh, and my kids. Um, we were part of Mosaic in the early days, 2005 to 2011, and then Mosaic planted us to plant the Oak Church in West Leeds in 2011, and then the Oak has just sent us to plant a church in Bradford. And uh, we are a church plant at this stage, which means we're tiny and praying that God would grow us. But we have a really big vision um, because I think we've got to have something extraordinary ahead of us that in some way lines up with the kind of vision that God has in Revelation 7 to see every tribe, every tongue, and every nation come to know Jesus. And that's to make disciples that plant churches and change the world, which sounds really amazing, doesn't it? But the nitty-gritty is every single day waking up, seeking God, and sharing who he is. So as we get to the end of our time uh, th- this little bit this morning, we're going to have a few minutes where I think you've done this a few times before, where we're just going to ask God, what do you want me to do in response to this passage, to the John 12 and John 19, and who can I share this passage with this morning? Because actually, seeing the church grow, seeing every tribe, every tongue, and every nation come to know the Lord Jesus happens by us obeying the Lord Jesus and walking with him daily, and then seeing his hand upon us and what he's doing in the world. So I just, just mull that through as, we're, as I'm talking this morning. God, what are you saying to me? What are you asking me to do this week? Who could I share this story with this week? And my testimony on sharing the story is really simply that as I've shared scripture with people, conversations about Jesus have opened up. And I've been praying for conversations to talk about Jesus for years But sharing scripture is this wonderful way in. You're having a conversation with somebody and you can talk just about what scripture is meaning to you and what's happening. And so I just encourage you to do that. Over the last year, God has brought me back to the cross of Jesus in some of the most trialing and challenging moments of my life 
revealing sin and blindness to his forgiveness, coupled with new discoveries of his extraordinary grace, his totally sufficient and his exorbitant love, and the life-transforming acceptance that he gives of me. And so wherever you're at this morning, we're going to come to the cross and ask Jesus, Lord, what, what's my response at the cross? Today, I hope to draw us to the one who sees us, to the one who knows us, to the one who calls us actually into family. There's this moment in history where the whole of the cosmos is looking at one man, on the one man who was there at the beginning of it all and will be there at the end, this one man whose very breath, in fact, created everything and whose very presence will usher in the recreation. There's this one moment that's centered around this one man and the cross that he climbs for us. It's this remarkable moment in history But it isn't some little moment in history. It's the moment in history. I am constantly reminded that the word history contains the word his and the word story. Right in the middle of all of history is the cross. And I wonder as we come to this this morning whether we have made the cross of Christ a little bit palatable, a little bit nice, a little bit just smooth. Maybe we make Easter a holiday season. Maybe we make the cross a comfortable wooden emblem or a statue. Maybe we make Jesus part of the story rather than the center of the story. And I wonder whether we live aware of Jesus or because of Jesus. We're going to read together John's account of what happened. And we're going to start with a couple of verses from chapter 12 as Jesus is entering Jerusalem. Today is Palm Sunday. It's this moment where we celebrate Jesus entering into the place, actually, where we enter into Passion Week, leading up to this moment on Friday and then this glorious moment on Sunday. So we'll start in John 12 and then we'll jump through to John 19. The next day... The great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. John 19, verse 16. Finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus. Carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two others, one on each side and Jesus in the middle. Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross, and it read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this sign, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. The chief priests of the Jews protested to Pilate, 
do not write the king of the Jews, but this man claimed to be the king of the Jews. And Pilate answered him, what I have written, I have written. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them. With the undergarment remaining, this garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. They're going to gamble for it. This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled that said they divided my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. So this is what the soldiers did. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there, and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, Woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, the disciple took her into his home. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished, and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I'm thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it and put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Heavenly Father, as we come to this passage this morning, we pray that by the Spirit you would reveal Jesus to us. Pray you'd be drawing us, Lord. As we look at this story, you'd be drawing us to the center of all of history. You'd be drawing us to the person and the work of the Lord Jesus. Lord, I pray wherever we are, whatever's been going on in our life in this week, in the weeks gone back, Lord, I pray this morning would be, Lord, similar to this moment in history, it would be a pivotal moment for us in choosing to hear your voice when you say, come, follow me. Lord, lead us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. In John's account of the story, we don't get the barbaric nature of the splintered rough wooden cross. If you, if you want that bit, you need to go into some of the other Gospels and look at their accounts. We don't get the description of the, the huge rusty nails being driven through his bones. We don't get the utter agony of his whole body weight pulling down on the nails through his wrists. We, we don't get that. We don't we don't get a description of how he was able to breathe. What, what we get is something very different in John's Gospel. John focuses on something different. He focuses on the fulfillment of all that was said about the king coming to pass in this moment. That's why I just put John 12 in with John 19 because they're declaring as he comes into Jerusalem that he's the king and then the thing that Pilate writes on his on, on the big thing that's going on the cross is that he is the king of the Jews. And there's these, these two moments that kind of come together. But also John is bringing together all of the scripture in this moment. And we do not have time this morning to pull in all the ways in which 
John does that to try and show us that Jesus is far more than just a man who was put on a cross, but it's the fulfillment of all that God had said was going to happen. But there's a couple of things here I'd like us to see before I give you an opportunity to think about how you might respond to the cross and who you might share this with this week. And they're all around how we respond and how the people in the story responded to Jesus. So first up, we get the crowd in John 12. They have, they have started gathering for the Passover festival, this huge festival in the life of Israel. I think last week you looked at them gathering uh, in the upper room and, and Jesus washing their feet. You can look more into that story there. But this is the moment for the Passover where Israel celebrate God rescuing them from the Egyptians. And what's their response as they're coming into this moment? Well, they treat Jesus like a king. They, there's this remarkable moment. You just think with all of the Roman centurions around, there's this remarkable moment where, where they are, they're laying down a red carpet with palm branches for Jesus coming in. They are recognizing that there's something hugely significant about who this person is. This is someone of great importance, arriving in the city of great importance. He's arriving in Jerusalem, which is the place that they had hoped maybe a king might come again because King David was here and maybe a new king will come. And there's all sorts of what-ifs, maybes going on in this story. Could this be the Messiah that they've been expecting? And then we jump forward a couple of days and we get to Pilate. And he stands out really as the one with the power in the story, doesn't he? He's the one who gets to decide really what's going on. He, he's the one who tells the chief priest, I've written what I've written. I'm in charge in this moment. He's found himself needing to pass judgment, but something about the language in John's Gospel, but also in the other Gospels, Something about the language that he uses and the way that he speaks tells us that he doesn't believe Jesus to be worthy of death. In fact, if you read Luke's, Luke's example, for example, Luke's gospel, for example, he, he actually pulls that out a little bit. Actually, actually, Pilate kind of tried his best to try and figure it out. Like, well, well maybe we could do it. And, and actually, in the end, he, he bows to the crowd's pressure. Maybe he's underestimating Jesus, or maybe he thinks he's more than the chief's say he is. And the title, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews, could be read in sarcasm, but it also could be read in truth. And we don't really get a, a clear idea of what's going on. But we do get this really interesting thing that's going on in here, because either way, he pronounces to the whole world who Jesus is. Like everyone gets to see. I just find it hilarious that God uses Pilate, who's really quite undecided, to tell the whole world that Jesus is the king of the Jews in the three known languages of the entire city. I mean, that's just remarkable, isn't it? Like He could have written it in some obscure piece of scribbled handwriting, but he prints it in the three known languages of the entire, of, for their understanding of the known world. Jesus, God uses this man who maybe doesn't really understand who Jesus is to tell the world who Jesus really is. So whether or not Pilate meant it for sarcasm or truth, God used it to declare to the world. And the chief priests are very angry about it. But Pilate sticks because he's the one with the power. He's the one in charge. And then we keep moving on, don't we? The soldiers 
they they got the spoils. That's how it worked. They're like the labourers. They you know the labourers on a building site. They get all the bits of metal. Well, the soldiers in this story they get the spoils. They get the bits of clothes, the bits of jewellery that might be left over. All of those kind of things. So they divide it amongst themselves. Oh, I'll, I'll have the sandals. They're worth a little bit. Oh, I'll I'll have I'll have his tunic. That'll be quite good. And they're left essentially with his underwear. But they're not sure what to do about it because it's not kind of Asda kind of underwear. This is really, this is a, it, it, John even tells us it's one piece from top to bottom that's what, like this is a beautiful piece of clothing. I don't want to tear it up. So they're going to cast lots, which John also tells us, like actually this was all, this, this was actually all foretold that this would happen. John keeps reminding us, do you remember the story back here? And you'll have to go back and read the story. But why does John include this moment for us? Well, I think there's a couple of reasons. Firstly, there's this contrast between scrabbling around for the spoils of the crucifixion by these soldiers and also the centurion who came to Jesus earlier in John's story in chapter 12. So the centurion was also a soldier. And the way that these two groups of soldiers view Jesus is just totally opposite. In John chapter 4, the centurion is needing his son who was dying to be healed. And so he comes to Jesus with reverence, knowing that Jesus has authority. But in this story, we have these soldiers almost totally blind, totally ignorant to who Jesus is and what he could do. No doubt the stories have traveled far and wide, but different people respond in different ways, even though they have the same backgrounds. I find that a little bit remarkable in the story. The soldiers in this story have no awareness of who the man on the cross could possibly be. Yet, a few chapters earlier in John, there's also another soldier who was so totally aware of who Jesus was and came to him asking for a miracle. I wonder, are we satisfied with the remnants of Jesus' body or are we seeking after the power of God through the presence and the purpose of Jesus? Are we okay just to, mock, just to rock up on a Sunday morning and kind of get the edges of what it might mean to know Jesus? Just as the soldiers, they saw him there, but they didn't really engage. Or really do we want something more like the centurion where we, we're actually captivated by something much, much greater that draws us to come to Jesus with our brokenness and our need and say, Jesus, I, I can't fix my son who's dying. And I don't know any other way but you. Can you please help? Do you see the two different responses of the soldiers going on in the story? The second thing about the soldiers is that four is the number in the Bible for completeness. For the Bible geeks in the room, you're like, yes, it is. Different numbers have different symbolism throughout Scripture. And four is this number for completeness. And the four soldiers represent complete ignorance to the person and work of Jesus. The world watched on in complete ignorance that the saviour of the world had come and was now dying to take away its sin. Um, A friend of ours as a group of churches, and also personally, Ian Galloway, has written an amazing book uh, all about John's Gospel. And he says this, the cross is, to this day, something that reveals where people stand. It shows us and it splits us and it shows us who Jesus is. Sometimes people will will receive him like a sweet smell and others like a stench. Alongside them, we could place the chief priests 
who were also blinded, who were also ignorant, but not by their greed, but actually by their religion. They, they couldn't see that the fulfillment of everything they believed was standing right in front of them. Isn't that amazing? Sometimes we can't see. We, we, are, we are blind and we require God to move to show us the next steps. Sometimes our eyes are so fixed, fixed on what has been said that our ears are not open to hear what God's saying now. Sometimes we're so focused on seeing things the way we've always seen them or assumed that they would be that we cannot see God at work in our time. The chief priests are the epitome of getting lost in the detail. They are so focused, so obedient on who Jesus was that they missed, sorry, on who God was that they missed the coming Messiah. Have we become so fixed on the detail of certain theological elements? Maybe on the atonement, maybe on the crucifixion, or any other theological detail that we can't see any longer the one for whom it all speaks about. Have we got so lost in the fun of Easter that we've missed the person at the center of Easter? Have we become really Christian but we're no longer Jesus followers? Are we obedient to the simplest of his commands? Come, follow me. Or are we looking to check that we've got all the bases covered? At the cross, we find the scriptures fulfilled, we find history fulfilled, and yet it didn't look like they thought it would. We need to humble ourselves this morning and ask God, what are you doing in our day that I can't see? What could you be doing that I'm in fact blind to? What needs to change in my heart to help me see what you're doing here? How do I come to your cross today, to you and to choose to follow you again this morning. And lastly, we move to the women and the disciple, and the four women. Do you remember the four I just spoke about a minute ago? What were were the four about? What was the four? The four soldiers who were completely ignorant, and, and now we have four women in this story who completely recognize him for who he is. John does this lots, these kind of two moments that come together. So you've got these four women who completely recognize him for who he is. And in this moment, Jesus doesn't just forgive us our sins, but he settles us into new families. At the most excruciating moment of his life, Jesus is recreating family as it should be. This isn't just a moment where as individuals we get to come to the cross and receive forgiveness although that is extraordinary in itself, but that also something fundamentally changes about who we are as people as we come and we become a people. Not by our blood, but by his blood. We become part of the family of God at the cross of Christ. And how does this happen? Well, it happens with Jesus' words, because he speaks to his mum, and he says, woman, here is your son. Well, Jesus is his his son. He he is giving the disciple to he is recreating family at that point. And then he speaks to the disciple and he said, and and he says, "Here is your mother." 
This isn't about blood link. This is about the family of God being drawn in together. And God does something fundamental for us at the cross where he doesn't just bring us as individuals to church on a Sunday. But he brings us into the family of God as brothers and sisters. Mothers, daughters, sons, fathers, grandfathers, weird Uncle Bills. We, we all get wrapped up into the family of God. And it happens at the cross. It isn't like a second thought. Oh, we should do the church, shouldn't we? Oh, that would be a good thing to do. Oh, yeah, let's do that. Let's put that in Acts, shall we? At the cross of Christ, the people of God gets recreated. Which is huge, because actually the people of God were all about bloodlines and clear routes through, all the way through the Old Testament. And yet in this moment, it gets centered around the blood of Jesus, not around the blood of the of the 12 tribes. Do you see the shift? Jesus is recreating everything. Jesus establishes the family of God forgiven and accepted by his blood for all time, by fulfilling every promise of the Messiah throughout the history of God's people. And then he finishes with two other words. As he only says four little short lines in here. He speaks to, to, to his mum. He speaks to the disciple. He then speaks and says, I'm thirsty. He's finishing, fulfilling every promise that was made about him. And then he says, it is finished. It is finished. And that's a, that's a big thing that's declared throughout the Old Testament. When things that God has been doing are done, there is a finishing moment. So everything that God needed to do was done in this moment as Jesus was crucified. I'm going to come in to finish now. Jesus, Jesus knows you and he knows how much you need him and how much you need what he has done at the cross. He knows what a mess I am and he knows what a mess you are. But thankfully he is not a mess. He is wonderfully good. He knows that you can't make it on your own. And he knows that you also can't fake it on your own. You run out at some point. He sees when you ignore him. And he sees when you ridicule him. He sees when you make religion more important than following Jesus. He sees what you need. And he says to you this morning, welcome to my family. He sees all of that. He says, welcome to my family. Not by your blood, but by mine. Your forgiveness comes not at a cost to you, but to me. Now take up your cross and follow me. In his letter to the Philippian church, the Apostle Paul, who had met Jesus in a vision and given his life to him, says this. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For whose sake I've lost all things, I consider them garbage, rubbish, that I may gain Christ. As we close, I'd like to ask Matt and the band just to come up. We're going to take a couple of minutes to just think about what our response is to Jesus, to the cross this morning. I'm just going to put a bit of music in the background to give you a couple of minutes to think about these two questions that we'll put on the screen. If this is God's word, if what we've read this morning is God's word, what am I going to do in response? 
What am I going to do in response? This is our response to when Jesus says, come follow me. Okay, this is God's word. What am I going to do in response? And then secondly, who am I going to share this story with this week? It's, it's Easter coming up, just in case you had been asleep for the last hour. It's Easter coming up. It's an easy week in some ways to share parts of the Easter story because people are aware of what Easter is. But it's also quite hard if you've not shared scripture with people before. So this is a moment to really pray and ask God to lead you and his Holy Spirit to lead you. So I'm going to give you a couple of minutes just to ponder what your answers are to these two. And then you don't get to just sit here quietly and think, oh yeah, I'll just ignore for a minute. And then I want you to turn to somebody near you or next to you or somebody you came with and to tell them what you're going to do and who you're hoping to share this passage with during this week. Does that mark the end? I think it's that. <laughs> Time over. So, because actually accountability is really key. And so, so let's do that. So let's think about these passages. Let's think about what God might have put on your heart and been speaking to you about this morning. And then let's think, what's my response? And who am I going to share this with?